0: This is an EM Pulse Hotbeat with your host, Julia Magana.
1: Half a day or hello in tomorrow—that That is the native language of Guam. And it's basically used the same way as the word aloha is in the Hawaiian islands. It means how are you friend or what's up friend or hello. It's a greeting you would say to someone you consider a friend and in Guam The Chamoran people treat many people as friends. I know this because I have been volunteering as a provider in Guam since 2012. See, when I decided to become a physician, I actually envisioned myself as an international provider helping kids who had minimal access to care. So obviously, that was not the path that I ended up taking. So as a nod to my idealistic pre-med self, my husband and I have committed to using vacation time to help out someone every other year. Since high school, I've volunteered internationally in a variety of ways. I've been on building trips and volunteering trips. I went on a medical trip where we set up a clinic and a preschool in the mountains of Honduras. I volunteered as a pediatrician in a hospital in Malawi and treated kids dying from malaria. Clearly, Guam is not the mountains of Central America or the deepest, darkest Africa, (laughs) but we can go as a family, and I want my kids to see a different pace of life and to learn from a different culture in a place where I feel safe with them. At times, I feel guilty to my young self, but it works for us for now. I also realized that one way I can help is to provide relief to other providers who are living outside of the U.S. long term and cover while they come back to the U.S. So anyways, this is what we do as a family and one way that we give back. Not fancy and certainly not Africa, but at this time we love it and we think incredibly fondly of Guam. The population of Guam is made up of native Chamoran people Filipinos, and a smattering of other races and ethnicities. Guam is a U.S. island territory in Micronesia and home to two military bases. Medical care is different there. And again, while not Africa or Honduras, by any comparison, the resources are much more limited. So if you need help, Hawaii is seven hours away by plane and Southern California, a full day's journey through many airports. You have to make decisions or do things that you may not do in the mainland U.S. I love hearing about other providers' lives, what they're like, what it's like treating patients, especially if it's really different from my own. When I hear their experiences, I learn new things. I sometimes appreciate the comforts I have at home a little more, and it helps to soften my outlook towards others. So to learn a little bit more about emergency medicine in Guam, I spoke with Gabriel David. He's an emergency medicine physician who is in charge of the urgent care at the Guam SDA clinic, and he also works at the Guam Regional Medical City Emergency Department. I wanted to hear his perspective, his story, what it's like in Guam.
0: That's a very funny statement because I never really expected the, the huge difference if, if going to a different facility. I, you know, I expected it's a hospital. It should have all the resources that I had in my previous uh, location where I was working. I knew it was probably going to be kind of low-key. It's going to be kind of island life. Oh, man, boy, was I wrong. There are many cases where I've kind of dealt with a lot of young individuals with who I think are healthy but otherwise are not, with a lot of comorbidities that are rampant in the island they tend to to be a little bit more sicker and just ill. It's just a sad moment to be able to kind of reflect on these people's lives and think about how short-lived their experiences have been and kind of relating with their families about this.
1: Why do you think there are more comorbidities among the patients that are here in Guam?
0: You know, I think it has to do a lot with the lifestyle and a lot of genetics. There's about Almost 70% of the island is either Filipino or Chamorro descent, so Pacific Islander in estimate. So with that, there's a lot of uh, genetic predisposition for diabetes, hypertension, and the lifestyle doesn't help. There's uh, a lot of poor eating habits, uh, sedentary lifestyle that are just kind of rampant in just the culture here. So I think that predisposes a lot of these uh, people who come in into the emergency department with a lot of higher risk than other populations in, in America.
1: What about access to healthcare? How is that different here in Guam?
0: Yes, that was, that's a kind of a challenge too. Because we're an island, uh, we are definitely isolated from a lot of resources here. Usually a lot of the times uh, specialists, I think about uh, surgical specialists, ENT, orthopedics, cardiology, a lot of the times uh, they uh, kind of have, short periods where they're here, and then they leave the island and go back home and work there and then come back. And so there's periods where you don't have specialists. Uh, you're it, you know, you're you're dealing with, you know, complicated, like a STEMI or a complicated ENT emergencies. And, you know, you're responsible for these patients. So it, it can get a little bit challenging at times. So the resources are, are very limited in that sense. And so you just try to do what you can.
1: What about uh, traumas? How do you guys handle traumas here?
0: You know, we are the trauma center. There's three hospitals on island, uh, one being the Naval Hospital, one being uh, GRMC, or where I work at, and then the public hospital. As far as for trauma, you know, obviously they will go to the nearest facility. There's no trauma designation of the facility. You know, the hospital's it. You go to the hospital, you deal with the trauma. So you kind of have to be kind of on your on your game, um, as far as for when traumas come in. The typical traumas are usually motor vehicle accidents. Then we get a handful of stabbings, sometimes gunshots, and certain different accidents like falls from heights. So you do what you can. As far as for stabilizing, you're, you're it. There is general surgery available, and so they may come in if they're available. So it can be uh, be a challenge trying to stabilize and resuscitate, uh, especially trauma patients. But we try to do best we can with that.
1: Was there anything that surprised you about being here and practicing in Guam?
0: I've really enjoyed being exposed to a different culture here. The patients have been so warm and receptive to whatever medical care that you can give them, medical education you give them. It's becoming a home away from home. And some of these patients tend to be kind of like almost like family members. It has a special place in my heart. The other thing is that access to health care is very limited here. The public health system is inundated with a lot of patients. And so patients are willing, able to kind of wanting to be seen by physicians, getting their care, they just there's just a long wait and so they get discouraged and then they don't get the care that they need. When they do come in, they come in for kind of, you know, some sort of acute injury and then they find out that they have some underlying diabetes or hypertension. You know, they have all these questions and you as a provider are kind of stuck with Providing them with that care that they need, you know, at the end of the day, you're it. No one else is going to be able to provide them that care. I felt like being an emergency medicine physician, I would never have to deal with like these primary care things. I wasn't trained to do that, but I came to the realization that you know I may be the only doctor that they may see, and so I try to give them as much care as possible. If I have to treat them for their diabetes, start them on medications for their hypertension, you know, I go ahead and do it because I don't know if they'll ever receive that care. So that's kind of uh, changed my practice in in a lot of ways that I not only kind of visited myself as an emergency medicine physician, but also I do have to work on trying to provide that safety net for primary care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a lot of people say that that's not something they thought they were going into emergency medicine for that purpose to be that safety net in that same way right we're safety net for everybody because they don't anybody can come in without insurance yeah. but to actually provide primary care in the emergency department is definitely a little bit of a change One of the things that I've seen while I've been here is I'll see kids that are going into kindergarten and have never seen a doctor or have like one hepatitis B shot that they got when they were in the hospital. Do you find that you'll see patients that have not been seen by a doctor for long stretches of time? And why do you think that is?
0: I've seen this happen numerous times where patients come in and I find out that they don't have any primary care provider. And then these are like 60, you know, 70-year-olds that come in and they haven't seen a primary care provider. And I think a lot has to do with several factors. One being that the culture is, I'm not going to see the doctor unless I'm sick. So educating the community as far as for care is one of the things that is lacking. The other thing that I seem to find is that sometimes they just don't have the resources, the financial resources. One thing that I have heard several patients is that I can't get to the doctor. I don't have transportation. I don't have a car. And the island, even though it's small, um, it's 30 by 8 miles in diameter, it's just sometimes difficult for patients to get to the physician or the medical clinic for their care. So they just kind of push it off, and they don't really see the necessity or emergency at that time until they're really sick.
1: Yeah, I feel like you can see that anywhere, but that's particularly true here in Guam. Do you find that because we're on an island here that you see like water injuries or any unique things? I know you mentioned beetle nut before. Tell us some of the weird things that you see here.
0: Because this is a hot spot for the surrounding Asian countries, I think about Korea, Japan, and China. There are a lot of water sport injuries that I occasionally run into. Not as much as I, I thought I would, but occasionally there may be some you know, boating accidents, diving uh, injuries scuba injuries, uh, reef walking. One patient was hit by a sea dew um, as she was kind of just falling down and, you know, on vacation with her husband. So just kind of uh, strange water accidents that we do see. You know, the typical wildlife here in Guam, there's not really any poisonous or venomous animals on Guam. There is accounts of uh, stonefish and uh, lionfish injuries here that are kind of sporadic. Um, I've seen a couple of those. Uh, most patients tend to do well from those injuries. They're not as acute or severe as we've read in like textbooks and so forth. So, so that's kind of unique. Uh, the other thing, uh, beetle nut, was the first time I've heard about it here in Guam, and I kind of like, well, what's beetle nut about? And, and so uh, talking with a lot of the community and people who live here in the island and uh, the health professionals, it's such a huge health issue, um, not just only for Guam, but most of the um, Asian and Pacific uh, Island community. I've read that um, it's the fourth commonly used psychoactive drug behind alcohol, tobacco, and uh, caffeine. Caffeine. <laughs> so yeah, So that's not really a drug, but <laughs> but yeah, after that. And so with the primary component with BinoNet, it's a kind of a stimulant. So it has all that stimulated uh, properties that you would have for any, like, uh, sympathomimetic type of drug. So it increases your heart rate, increases, you know, your blood pressure. Uh, it can cause a lot of other issues in regards to health. They can increase uh, preterm labor. It can also increase risk for hypothyroidism. Also increases risk for metabolic syndrome with continued use. So if you factor all these things... They're all things that can lead to diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, cardiac issues. Beetle nut, for those who don't know, it's primarily chewed. Beetle nut is actually not a nut, I found out. It's actually a fruit. It's like a berry of the plant. What the locals do, they chew the beetle nut with slake lime. Slake lime is basically calcium hydroxide. It's crushed to add a little bit of a flavor and a tingling and sensation when you chew. They kind of coat the beetle nut in this uh, slake lime. And they either chew it with some tobacco component, and that adds kind of like a stimulant to the concoction that they make with the betel nut. And betel nut is just kind of rampant throughout the islands, and it doesn't just for the older generation population, it starts very young because it's kind of a communal thing. Everyone's doing it, you know, it, it's part of their culture, so everyone starts chewing at a young age. The risk for that is that it leads to a higher risk of oral cancers in the population here. Oral cancer is about six times more prevalent here than it is in the States. So that's a considerably larger amount. I believe it's direct relation to betel nut. Oral cancer is also the highest rate of cancer in the Asian Pacific Island population. The incubation time for betel nut is about 10 years. So if they start in their younger age, like the adolescent age, they can ha- develop oral cancer in their, in their age 30s. I've seen as early as like 25 on a patient. And they usually present because they can't eat. And so when they come in, they have a huge, large mass in their jaw or on, in their mouth. It's sad because this is such a young population, young patients, that this is easily preventable. A lot of the times they don't have the resources financially to support the extensive care from this oral cancers that they they succumb to.
1: Yeah, that is super sad. After we talked about this, like, what, it was a week and a half ago or so, I've been screening some of the patients, especially ones that have lived off of Guam, and I have been absolutely shocked. And it's like, oh, yeah, when I was seven or eight, I did that. And it's like, oh, my goodness, when you were seven or eight, you did that? (laughs) Like, wow, that is so young. Every time I go to Guam, there are eye-openers for me, and the beetle nut was it this last time, that's for sure. I started asking a lot more patients and was really saddened to hear so many kids saying yes to that. In June, we spoke with John Rose about working at the South Pole in Operation Deep Freeze, and we plan on doing more episodes, hearing more from other providers who have traveled the world and cared for patients in unique environments, so stay tuned. In the meantime, you can follow us at EM Pulse Podcast on social media and pass the word along. That helps us a lot. Oh, wait, one last thing. You may have noticed this was not a full episode. For the month of July, we decided to do two heartbeats, but we will be back in the usual swing of things in August. So see you then in half a day.